0: Okay, we'll turn to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 8 to 26, if you haven't done that already. And um, if there are some, you know, still turning there now or while you're turning, uh, let me just say it seems to me, just in my observation and interaction with people, that the majority of people are emotionally strained and strung out at this point uh, by, you know, pandemic, quarantine, you know, businesses being shut down and other restrictions on our comings and goings and so forth, strung out and strained by the social unrest and, you know, riots and uh, all all of that stuff. You know it. You know what it is. <laughs> You're living in it as much as I am. But it seems to me that people are just really uh, emotionally stretched by that. So it's like... Everybody's walking around going, okay, this is my last nerve right here, and you are getting perilously close to it. Stand back, you know. We're we're like, we're, we're wound up like a jack-in-the-box, just, just ready to pop. So we're like, we're living at, you know, brink-de-dink-de-diggity-dink, dink de dink brink de dink dink de dink Right there this is the summer of 2020. And we're, uh, you wind me one more time and I'm coming up out of the box, you know? And so, so even, you know, like little things are big things right now. I mean, like, uh, you know, things that haven't always been a big deal are kind of big trigger points. And we're all, we're all living at that kind of place right now. I say, all oh, that might not be every individual, but just as a society, as a community, we're kind of living at that place right now. And so how are we to be useful servants of the master in that kind of climate and when we're we're in that kind of condition ourselves uh, emotionally. So I want to speak to that subject um, this morning in a message I've titled Getting Good and Angry getting good and angry. And I'm drawing from the latter part of 2 Timothy chapter two. We're actually gonna read all of eight through 26 and then uh, focus really our attention on just a few verses there at the end. But if you'll look there uh, with me in 2 Timothy chapter two, um, and I'll ask or invite you as uh, our custom is and has been to stand as we read the scripture together. Reading out of the English Standard Version, Hear the word of the Lord. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house. Ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your true and living word, and we need it so much, a word from you. Um, It's living and active and powerful. We need... um, all of that life and activity and power in our own lives, uh, maybe more than we've ever sensed it before in our lives during this season. And so we come with need and with expectation. You're going to speak into that need to each of us individually. And so we we open our ears and hearts to hear, would you speak, O Lord, your word by your Spirit, through your servant to your people, for your glory and our good always. And God, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as a vessel to serve your people today, in Jesus' name, amen. And if you're standing, you may be seated. Well, uh, again, I'll, I'll say thanks to uh, Steve Curtis for preaching last week from the first seven verses of Uh, of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and uh, his message about passing the torch and that applied uh, you know Paul had passed it to Timothy Timothy was to pass it to others but it really um, applies to really all believers who are themselves disciples being raised up um, in the faith and rooted and grounded in love and in Jesus and then uh, bringing others along raising others up who will do the same and so uh, that was the springboard into this passage that we just read, and here he basically describes um, how Timothy can be a useful servant. It uses uses that term um, actually down in maybe verse twenty one or so. But I just want to I want to survey here really quickly. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of do injustice to much of the text. We could probably do three sermons out of this text easily. This passage, but um, I'm I'm going to uh, survey pretty quickly most of the passage here, and then we'll focus more attention here at the end. But um, he starts out with a reminder that a useful servant is going to keep the main thing the main thing. And one of the reasons I'm I'm, uh, sort of taking the liberty of breezing through this a little bit more, these are themes that have come up um, already in our study of 1 Timothy and even some a little bit in 2 Timothy, um, he emphasizes things that deserve emphasis. And, and like I said, including here in the first half or so of the passage, that a useful servant keeps the main thing the main thing. In verses 8 through 13 there, he says, basically the message is stay focused on Jesus and endure with him. This, this message could be, could be preached Week after week after week, and and we should never tire of it because that's really the most important thing we need to hear as he begins right there in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. Remember him and endure with him. If you have died with him, you'll live with him. If uh, we endure with him, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. But if if we are faithless, he'll remain faithful because he can't deny himself. This has been one of the themes, if you've been tuned in to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you know this has come up again. Focus on Jesus. Stay close to him, connected to him. Keep the main thing The main thing, verses 14 through 19, build upon that. The main thing being, for Timothy, preach the word clearly and simply. Don't get drawn into silly, irreverent babble. We heard that very same language at the end of 1 Timothy. See, Timothy is still contending with false teaching and false teachers here. And those false teachers include Again, presumably, uh, based on what we know from the book of Acts, some of the elders, this is what makes it so, so challenging, some of the elders of the church are actually drawing people toward themselves, uh, pulling in their own direction, confident that they're right about some things and Timothy is wrong, and it just creates a, a whole different layer of tension, surely, in the church and the dynamics of the church, but, but Timothy's charge, of course, is to, is to speak the truth Into that, and so he says, "Don't don't get drawn into silly, secondary, superficial things. Stay focused on the the simplicity of the gospel. A useful servant keeps the main thing, the main thing. And then, in verses 21, he says, basically, that a useful servant is purified for service. He he uses this analogy of two different kinds of vessels in a house. If you if you caught that there, he says there are some that are uh, gold and silver, some um, of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. So you might have the finest vessels in a house, gold and silver, that might be set aside, ready to be used uh, for the most honored guests. And they would be uh, for serving food, right? Serving a meal, nourishing the most honored guests. And then you had some other vessels that might be for dishonorable use, and that might be like for like as trash cans or even bedpans, okay? Like they were used to collect and, and dispense of waste, all right? So he, he makes this analogy and, you know, suggests, implies, you know, everybody, any servant of God wants to be useful and they want to be available and useful for honorable use. Uh, and the question might be for us, you know, what kind of vessel are you? I mean, we know what we want to be, but are you uh, fit for use by the master to nourish other people, or are you really right now serving the purpose of just collecting waste? Um, that's a, a, a reflective question maybe you can consider in your devotional time by itself. But but he says a useful servant to become an honorable honorable vessel needs to Cleanse himself or be purified for that purpose. And then he spells out in more detail how a servant can go about cleansing himself for honorable use. We're, we're getting closer to where we're going to camp out here this morning. But he says in verse 22, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful passions and pursue Righteousness. Now, some of you may uh, think when you hear, that, you hear that phrase, flee youthful passions, you might go, brother, I, I don't have any challenge with that. Youthful passions fled me a long time ago. I can't even see them from here. Sometimes I wish they'd come back, but they don't. I'm not challenged with that one. But we, we actually uh, may uh, want to think a little differently about that. That is translated in some, in some versions as you know, evil desires or lusts, youthful lusts and that kind of thing. Um, but it seems very uh, likely, the way the ESV renders it is it maybe gets um, a, a little bit closer to what's intended here. That is, youthful passions just being those those desires and motivations that drive young people along, the typical young person. And you remember... Um, Some of you are young. If you're not young, you remember what it was like to be young where your life is ahead of you. You just can't wait for your opportunity to go out and make your own decisions, sort of make a a path for yourself and that kind of thing. You've got all sorts of energy and ideas and ambitions and all of that kind of thing that would drive you along. Youthful passions. And it might be ambition, achievement. uh, In some cultures and contexts, money or material comforts. Um, It might be uh, self-promotion. Or acceptance by the right people. All those kinds of things that would, would drive a, a, a young person. And of course, you don't have to be young to still be driven by those kinds of passions. Even though they're youthful passions. But, but Paul's saying to Timothy, you know, flee those things that would otherwise grab your attention and your affection and your, and your time and set direction for you. Flee those things and pursue righteousness and faith, love and peace. Then in verses 23 through 26, we get to the harder part. This is the passage I really want to focus our attention on. And I want you, as we read this again, to uh, think about all that's going on right now. From week to week, how you are feeling right now. If you are feeling like that jack-in-the-box, you're pretty wound up. You might not be on the last turn, but you're somewhere close to it. You know, ready to spring up out of that thing. The kinds of things people are saying and doing and how you react or want to react to the things people are saying or doing. Think about that context. And then let's look at verses 23 through the beginning of 25. Again, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You probably have run across a few of those this week. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Now let's get real. Kind to everyone? Everyone. Is he serious? Everyone. I mean, because you might be thinking, there's some people I can avoid. uh, But that's the best I can offer. (laughs) You know, I know that I got two options. I can really tell them what I'm thinking. I can really give them a piece of my mind. Or I can just stay away from them. Being kind to them might be too much to ask you know, and, 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 and you think, you know, if you knew this guy, you would know how intolerable he is. And I, I, can't, I can't promise to be kind all the time. Kind to everyone, he says. This is the Lord's servant. He must not be quarrelsome. Kind to everyone. He must patiently endure evil. There's plenty of evil to find right now. Plenty circulating, plenty going on, plenty being exchanged, patiently enduring evil, and then correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, maybe you're already thinking ahead of me, and you would know why this passage, I thought, these few verses out of this whole chapter really warranted our attention because we're having opportunity to either exercise uh, these or, or sort of obey these commands, I suppose you might say, or to violate them. And probably most of us um, would, would, would have a hard time really doing, really obeying that. And let's take notice of the situation uh, that there is something wrong that needs to be made right okay because he says correct your opponents not so not just ignore it staying absent from it because it aggravates you that's that's not an option timothy correct your opponents so there's something that's properly upsetting in other words that, that we're right to be angry about some things so that that's that's one thing we want to notice that there is something right, wrong that needs to be made right the second thing is that There's a mixture of evil in the situation. Real evil. And yet, okay, there's wrong going on that needs to be made right. There's evil in the mix of it. And yet, it is to be confronted, how? With kindness, patience, and gentleness. Because, if we read on in verses in verse 26 there, or the second half of 25 and then 26. I'm just summarizing or paraphrasing here, but the goal is that they will be led to a knowledge of the truth so that they may escape the snares of the devil. That's the goal. In other words, the goal is to win the person, not to win arguments or quarrels, actually is the more correct word, isn't it? What if in the midst of conflict with people, we were asking, how can I help get this person to heaven? I mean, what if that was the question in the back of our minds all the time in the midst of conflict? They wanted to see, you know, through the flames as it were, with, with a, an eye toward and a mind toward going in to rescue them out. How would I see the situation differently? How would I endure the heat a little differently if my mind was set on uh, having them led to repentance, set free from captivity from the enemy and uh, for them to get to heaven rather than for for me to get the upper hand? Well, I want us to sort of look underneath the engine, as it were, of, of this kind of issue um, and by that I mean like somebody would if they you know, sort of crawled up under um, a car or a truck or whatever and, and looked up underneath it. I'm speaking of people who would look up underneath it and know what they were looking at, not somebody like me. But in other words, you get a different perspective on it and you see the same engine but from a different angle and you can, you can diagnose things um, differently and, and in some cases better. I want us to look there and notice that the reason why this is so challenging. I mean, again, I think, I think this is true for most of us that we we hear that and we go. Like, you would just pass by it and go, well, that's, okay, that's a nice thought. That's a goal, be kind to everyone. Like, you know it's unrealistic um, because you're not being kind to everyone and you're not answering your opponent with gentleness or correcting them with gentleness and so forth, you know that you kind of ought to, but um, it's just easier and sometimes feels better to do it a different way. And so you can either just lash out harshly or uh, just avoid people altogether. Why is that, that that's so challenging? Um, And I, I want us to sort of look at this in a different way because the reason it's so difficult is because of how anger operates within us. We know how to express anger in bad ways and we know how sometimes just to swallow it and keep our mouths shut, right? We might not be able to be kind, but we can be silent. Sometimes we might even have to leave the room. But like those are the two options we know, bad anger or just suppress, swallow the anger. But it is possible to get good and angry, uh, that is, to be angry about the right things in the right ways, as the scripture tells us in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. As we know, um, Jesus, who was angry at the Pharisees and healed a man in, in the synagogue, um, that he was uh, angry and overturned the tables uh, in the temple. It, it's, you know, it, there are ways to be good and angry. Ang- anger is, is a good thing. Uh, but like all things in fallen creation and the human experience, it's, it's twisted. And so if we're going to get good and angry, we have to actually disassemble our anger and sort of put it back together um, the right way. Um, I will say I'm actually drawing this, even the, even the title itself. I, I'm, I'm drawing from a book that's titled Good and Angry by David Pallison. Uh, P o w l i s o n. Good and angry. If you looked it up, you'd find it uh, probably at any online bookseller. But um, just fantastic and relatable, and um, communicates really, really well. But I'm drawing this from from that book, and ma- maybe you've assembled something before where you didn't follow the instructions. Completely or perfectly or accurately, maybe you ignored them all together, and looks you—it know, looks like I can tell how that goes together. And you get it all put together, and something's out of whack, or you've got extra parts, and they look like really important parts. And so you have to take the whole thing apart and then reassemble it the correct way. In fallen human beings, anger is is assembled in us incorrectly. Um, so again, it's a it's a good gift, and there are there are things we're supposed to be angry about. Injustices where justice needs to be brought. Wrongs that need to be made right. And clearly that's the case even here where Paul's talking to Timothy. Correct your opponent, but with gentleness. Um, and so we, we we have to kind of reassemble that in the correct way. And I'm going to take from uh, this book, Good and Angry, eight questions I want to share, and I'll have to go through them um, pretty quickly, but eight questions to, to take apart your anger, okay? Number one, as you're, as you're even reflecting back and doing, maybe watching the game tape, so to speak, you know, if you were to go back and watch how, a replay in your mind a situation where you acted in anger, what, what is the situation? This is the first question. What is the situation? In other words, what is going on that aroused your irritation, aggravation, and so forth? This isn't anything about you. It's the circumstances itself. So so what are some of them right now? The gym is closed. You can't go to the gym. You're really upset about that. I know that about some of you because I've seen it and heard it. Um, your, businesses, your, your business still can't really operate at full capacity. Maybe you're a business owner. Maybe it's your employer who still can't bring you back at full uh, throttle because of government restrictions. And so that's uh, Arousing irritation. People are vandalizing property, right? Destroying monuments and 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 justifying that it's okay. And that that is really a source of irritation and a aggravation for people. Um, and you're being required to wear a mask. Or you're noticing other people are refusing to wear a mask. They're supposed to be required to wear. Because are there are people irritated by on either side of that and you know that that list could go on and on but see no, the, the, the the question is what what is the situation what, just what are the circumstances arousing that irritation it's nothing about you at this point although you are the issue in fact in in chap, chapter 2 of uh, this book good and angry that the title of it, the title of it is um, do you have a serious problem with anger? And the, and, and the answer is yes. That's all of chapter two right there. Yes, you have a problem. I have a problem and it's you and it's me. Um, but that's the first question. What's the situation? Number two, how do I react? So what goes through your mind? What are the thoughts turning through your mind when that happens? What happens physically in your body? So I'm noticing my, my face is starting to get a little... Hot, my heart rate increases. I feel the muscles in my shoulders tensing up a little bit, tightening up. I and mean, what's happening physically? And then how do you feel emotionally? You know, you're irked or furious or whatever it is. We just kind of observe. How do you react? Number three. What are my motives? Or in other words, why why do I get angry? Now, this is actually the the the. $64,000 question, the million, million dollar question, or however many dollars the question, a big question is worth at this point. Um, why do I get angry? And, you, and you're saying, well, you just said it. It's, uh, it's you know, riots and it's masks and it's gym closures and it's all these kinds of things. But James 4, 1 asks and answers the question a different way, right? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you. You see, what, what are your motives? Why do you get angry? It's something inside of you and your reaction to the circumstances, not the circumstances of the other people themselves. And that's what we've got to diagnose. And um, that kind of interest, that kind of reflection, I think is worth the price of this book by itself. Um, to sort of evaluate you know evaluate things about your own anger that you never really even think about, but, and you may have to dig deep to uh, actually identify motives, but what is it that you really want in the situation? What do you believe you need and can't live without that you're so uh, worked up about about this one Thing, whatever it was on that list or, or any, anything else you can imagine that, that sets you off what is it you believe you, can't, you need and can't live without what do you fear and what do you most love it, answers to these questions lie inside of our anger in other words if we'll study if we'll look up underneath the engine of this thing we'll find out really uh, enlightening helpful things about ourselves and how God might even want to work in us? What's the centerpiece of your hopes and dreams that are, that are somehow risked or compromised by the situation that you're really angry about? In other words, anger arises from the desires and beliefs that master and define you. That's a, a quote from the book. Anger arises from the desires and beliefs that define you, and you need to identify what those are. What are my motives? The fourth question is: What are the consequences? What are the consequences? That is the consequences of my bad anger. Like if I if I if I react in an angry way, and 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 uh, in part in a, in a bad and ungodly way. If you express your anger in harsh, unkind, or impatient ways, which are all just direct contrast to what. Uh, Paul requires of Timothy here, right? Kind to everyone, patient, patiently enduring evil, uh, correcting our opponents with gentleness. If you do it harshly and impatiently and unkindly, what's uh, what's going to result from that? Because you reap what you sow. All right, some of that's going to come back to you. If you post that comment online, if you send that email, if you say that thing to the person in the store, or that thing. you know, you react the way what they they said something to you, looked at you a certain way. If you say that thing, react in that way, what's the best thing that can happen? Okay, you, you post that comment, send that email, make that statement or remark, gesture uh, to this person, person that you see out in public, what's the the best thing that can happen? And then what's the worst thing that can happen? What are the consequences of that? You you may have heard years ago the story of a a 16-year-old young man who was out playing golf, hit a bad shot um, and reacted badly. Golfers are um, apt to hit bad shots and to react badly about them. Um, But this particular young man got mad he swung his golf club at a bench the shaft of the golf club broke and came back and actually hit him in his heart pierced his heart and killed him now that's a incredibly dramatic unbelievable kind of story but the consequence immediate consequence of anger that it does have consequences what are the consequences of your angry reactions and uh What is it you and others are going to sow, or reap rather, based on what you sow? Question number five, what's true? What does the Bible say about all these things that we're talking about? What does the Bible say about that list of things that you get angry about? And what's God's relationship to those things? You might consider Psalm 23. In other words, if you were looking for a place when you are really worked up, your heart's racing, you're, you're... boiling, your face is red, people can tell physically that you're mad, Um, you might consider looking first to Psalm 23 about what's true. Well, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Whatever's at risk here, whatever's at stake, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and beside still waters and he restores my soul. All of this unrest and agitation that I'm feeling right now around these particular situations, um, all that's got me wound up as the -the jack-in-the-box, about to pop out of there like a madman, um, that's not of the Lord. What's true of him, he makes me lie down in green pastures and beside still waters, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not for my own self-justification. And very often that's what's on the line when we get angry and engage in angry kind of um, volleys with people. Is that it's, I want to I, I get the upper hand here. Um, I want to save face. I, I want to sort of win the day. It's my own justification that's at stake rather than his name's sake. You could go on. I'm not going to read all of Psalm 23 there, but, but if you read it, you will notice that it then, the, the language turns to what well, he's speaking of the Lord in the third person, to then saying, You are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. It then becomes conversational with God. And that leads to question number six how do I turn to God for help? Uh, how can I voice to Him? what I'm experiencing, and, and, and ask Him for help. I don't know if you do this in your prayer life, but this is, this is just very, very helpful, even in our, just articulating, sounding out to God what it is that you're feeling, even before you know how to turn that in any kind of request to Him, just like you would do if you were talking to a trusted friend and saying, I just need, I just need to get this off my chest. Turn to God and get it off your chest. Just articulate to him the things you're feeling and experiencing and ask him for help. But the key is to turn to him. Here's an interesting quote from Powelson in this book. He says, angry people always talk to the wrong person. Angry people always talk to the wrong person because they're talking to the person they're angry at. They're talking to somebody else about it because they want to get people on their side. to to make them feel justified in the way they were feeling. Um, Any number of other people they may talk to, they may talk to themselves about it, right? Just driving in the car, getting themselves more and more worked up, um, talking to themselves about, if you're not talking to God about your anger, you're talking to the wrong person. Angry people always talk to the wrong person. Question number seven, how could I respond constructively in this situation? How could I respond constructively? Like how could you you show or express grace to others? Or how can I verbalize thanks to God? You You know about either one of those that they're unnatural and counterintuitive in the moment, right? Like I hope you do realize that. I hope you've been upset recently enough to know that. That like when you feel like yelling or you know, like typing in all caps, which is the same thing as yelling, right? Or whatever. Like when you feel like doing that and instead you choose to say something gracious and forbearing or you express thanks to God rather than uh, complaints and moaning about what somebody else or the situation. Um, it's counterintuitive, it's unnatural, but it's constructive. And, um, you know, you can win people with a word in that way. That's what the aim is even here in 2 Timothy, right? That they they might, by our uh, kind, patient, gentle dealings with them rather than a quarrelsomeness, that they might actually be led to repentance, to faith in the Lord. How can I respond constructively? The final question, question number eight is, what are the consequences of faith and obedience? We talked about what are the consequences of my... Bad, unrighteous, unhealthy anger. What are the consequences of faith and obedience? If I begin to turn this thing in a more constructive direction and respond the way God would call me to, if rather than lashing out, I'm patient and kind and gentle. Godly responses may have a direct positive effect on the world around me. You've probably had situations, hopefully have situations, on either the giving or receiving end of this where where um, a, a gentle answer, a soft answer turns away wrath, the proverb says. You know, that, that you, you, you say something soft and gentle and gracious when what everybody would have expected is the exact opposite opposite of that. And that it just disarms the situation, just takes the heat right out of the situation altogether. It can have direct positive effects on the world around you. It might be that just through your experience of working through that, that you understand bitterness and anger better when you've examined your own. And therefore, you become more gracious and patient with other people as they experience it. We could use some people living in our world right now who were slow to anger and who were gracious to others who were quick to anger. We would all be better off if we learned through dealing with our own bitterness and anger to be gracious toward others. And then finally, uh, if, if through my obedience and uh, just responding the way God would have me, even though that's not naturally what I want to do, if I work through that, and if I'm depending on God, if I'm looking to Him for help and God guidance in that, if through that I am made more like Jesus, it gives me just a little taste of heaven when I will be made fully like him. And that's exactly what he wants to do in us right now. Not only that we might be approaching these situations with the question, not how can I get back at this person, but how can I get this person to heaven? We might also um, be instructed by the question of how, how is God gonna make me more like Jesus uh, through this situation? Now, I know that seems very unrealistic, and it's as, as much a, a a challenge for me as it is for any person because all of us have anger put together improperly inside of us. But this is exactly the kind of people. These, this is what a useful servant looks like. This is what a vessel looks like that is fit for the honorable use by the master to nourish other people. Many of us, more than we would wish to imagine, are actually just collecting waste right now. We are the waste basket in the house rather than the serving dishes. And if we want to be made uh, to be useful, honorable vessels to cleanse ourselves, um, then we have to work through uh, disassembling, reassembling our anger so that we can not be quarrelsome people, but be kind to everyone. Uh, patient, patiently enduring evil and correcting our opponents with gentleness, hoping and longing and praying for them to be set free from their captivity to sin and reconciled with the Father. Well, that's a timely word, as I said, to all of us right now um, because there are opportunities and invitations daily to jump in to quarrels and to become quarrelsome people And may God, by his grace, uh, give us um, such a sweet aroma in the world that that the people of God really do bring to uh, the public square um, a sweetness, a graciousness, a light, and a truth that even when it's despised, that it can't be ultimately denied and rejected um, because it is so much of Jesus on display. May he do that in us and through us. Well, let's pray together. Um, Lord, we, we do thank you for this uh, challenge, and it's a great challenge to us, but it's a timely one. We, we need to hear this because, Lord, we, we, we don't have to think probably very far about, where we were the ones that popped we already made it past uh, being wound up in that jack-in-the-box one time, and maybe we're going around for our second time or third time around. We've already popped. We've already been quarrelsome. We've been unkind and impatient and harsh and, and not gentle. God, would you show us what's truly inside of us and how, how to take apart uh, our own way of dealing with anger that has become natural and, and unconscious and we do as just, it's just second nature to us. Um, Lord, would you help us to repackage and repurpose that so that we can, uh, we can be angry about the right things, but in the right way, that you would be revealed to the world through that. And that other people would be introduced to you. Would you make that true? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.